perfume is an art. You know, it's, it gives pleasure like a painting gives pleasure. It can subvert like a text can subvert. You can do a lot with set, you know. So I'm sort of trying to hold the line of the importance of, of perfumery, even in this global pandemic and this age of great uncertainty for the simple reason that humans need sucker. You know, they need solace. Welcome, welcome to the podcast that celebrates scent and aroma. You may be quarantined, but our imaginations can still run wild. I'm your host, writer and scentnut, Caleb Jacobs, and I'll be bringing you a sneak peek into the world of aroma and how it informs our life and experiences. My guest this week is the multi-hyphenate that is Saskia Wilson-Brown. Saskia started her career in music video production and then flew the coop to become the co-director of the Silver Lake Film Festival. From 2007 to 11, she headed the Outreach and Development Department at Al Ghul's Current TV and was among the producers for the Emmy-nominated show TV Free Burning Man. In 2012, she founded the Institute for Art and Olfaction, a non-profit arts organization devoted to experimentation, access, and cross-media projects with a particular focus on scent. I'm going to read you this quote. It's really her mission statement from the Institute and its inception in LA. Los Angeles is the most postmodern of cities, the future-facing home of a thousand ideas that would have felt strange and audacious anywhere else. The aerospace industry and the movie industry, fast food, low riders, and Disneyland. If we play our cards right, we might help instigate things yet to be seen. An aerospace engineer might collaborate with a perfumer to create a scent for outer space. A designer might develop a typeface around the idea of gourmand, or a prisoner might work with a molecular biologist to create the scent of fear at midnight. Saskia, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast with me. I mean, I could read that aloud over and over, skin tingles. Honestly, all of those ideas blow me away. And I truly don't think beyond the realms of possibility. Well, I think it's given me a sort of healthy relativity to cultural monopoly, I guess. I mean, I have a, a very strong sense about what is important, what is the one way, there is no one way, you know? And I think that really comes from, from my upbringing. You're French and American by upbringing mm-hmm. and Cuban and English by blood, which is a really beautiful cauldron of culture. Was that a creative blessing or, or a curse in any way? Yeah, so my dad's Cuban, my mom's English, and then I was sort of raised French because my mother didn't want me to be American. She's a Eurocentric. And she's right, the the education in the U.S. can be uh, questionable, huh? I think as a kid, it felt more like a curse than anything else just because I was always sort of between cultures. And in France, I was the American. In America, I wasn't quite American enough. I didn't have the the cultural references, you know, TV and whatnot, because I was raised completely French. And then my Cuban family, you know, I'm sort of not Cuban, but I don't know. It was sort of weird and in between and sort of disconcerting and alienating. But as I've grown older, I've found that to be a real asset a real advantage to be between cultures. How do you think that influenced your sense of smell and what you now do in the world? I mean, obviously you have such a creative background. You used to work for Al Gore, you're a documentary filmmaker. How has that kind of impacted everything? You know, I started going to Cuba when I was quite young. So I was exposed to some pretty vastly different approaches to the US, you know, where there is no money, you know, there is mm. no commerce, there's, there's something else. So 
I think that gave me a sense of relativity about capitalism also, which plays into everything I do, I think. In what way? In that I think that, you know, American style capitalism or I guess Western style capitalism is damaging to culture. Uh, it's damaging to us as humans. I'm not saying communism is the answer by no means, because it's not. <laughs> but I think this sort of constant drive to, to produce, consume, produce, consume, produce, consume is, is exhausting and alienating. And it, you know, my husband sent me this meme once that was, before you diagnose yourself with low self-esteem, make sure, in fact, you're not surrounded by capitalism. <laughs> I, I, I messed that up. It was funnier, but uh, there was some variation on it relating to capitalism that I can't remember. But anyway, and, and I think there's something to that. I, I mean, I certainly felt it myself as this constant pressure to produce and succeed. And, you know, I'm a hyperactive person, so I definitely take it to heart. Like I, I, I will produce until I'm dead uh, unless I catch myself. And I think that that's something that socially, you know, we've, we've all felt. Um, I'm sure we've all felt that way, just this pressure, pressure, pressure. For sure. But I think it's bittersweet because I feel like I'll do the same, but that's because that's what keeps me most alive. Right. I also get a, a lot of pleasure out of it. But, but, but so then it's a question of doing it for the lulls, as it were, you know, doing it because yeah. you get pleasure out of it, not because you're under all this pressure. And that's where exactly. it gets tricky, you know, especially when, you know, we live in a world where we have to make money, we have to pay rent, we have to, you know, it's, it's I'm not trying to be unrealistic about it. So, so tell me about the Institute for Art and Health Action. You set that up, you founded that in 2012. And it's a nonprofit arts organization devoted to experimentation, access, and cross-media projects with a particular focus on scent. Can we delve into that? Yeah. So the Institute came out of this sort of belief system I have. And what, what triggered it was that I was working at this TV network run by Al Gore and Joel Hyatt. And we were really devoted to democratizing the media, which in retrospect, oh my God, what have we done? <laughs> you know, but, um, this is right as YouTube was launching. And I really, I drank the Kool-Aid. I really believed uh, in, in the purpose of this, of this TV network. You know, it resonated with my politics. Fast forwarding, I, I, I was given a book by a friend of mine called The Emperor of Scent uh, about Luca Turin by Chandler Burt. And I read it and I was like, wow, all these efforts that, that I was sort of a big part of in my role at Current TV uh, to, to create access and to bring new voices to air, et cetera, can all be applied to perfume because perfume like media is like media used to be, I should say, is an exclusionary field, you know? And then of course I was trying to learn about it myself. I, you know, I got the bug, like, oh, I want to learn how to make perfume. And, and I started asking around and writing around and I was finding that no one really would, would teach me in a way that made sense to me. There were, there were plenty of perfumers teaching and I took classes and it, it was wonderful, you know, but I needed sort of more of a long-term uh, education that was a little bit more focused on the knowledge over the production as in you know over making pretty perfumes yeah. as more to like the context and the history and and it wasn't <clears throat> something to you that felt singular it, it was something that you wanted to share and and well yeah yeah secret that, singular world that's exactly in so many ways exactly so as I learned about it and I started learning what I couldn't learn I realized that yeah I wanted to learn myself but I also felt like well you know, and this gets into my politics. Why is this so inaccessible? You know, it doesn't make sense because it's just an art form. It's not, it's not rocket science. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, there's a lot of chemistry and that's complicated, but the act of blending materials, why is this not accessible to people? What is so complicated about this? You know, not to discount the artistry, but really at the core, you just, you have pipettes and you have materials and you're sticking them together in a jug. I mean, what's, what's so complicated about this? So it's interesting as well. And again, with America being quite 
averse to smell in my opinion in a way that Europe's not if you take a modern room a modern room reeks if you're going to equate it to sound it's like there's a cacophony of sound but there's a cacophony of scent in a room that people I don't think equate or understand so you have laundry detergent and you have fabric softener and maybe you have incense or potpourri and maybe you have fragrance in your bathroom and something else centered in your bedroom and like so you've got this modern room it's like this sort of background symphony to your life and yet you have no particular interest in smell or it doesn't resonate with you or you don't understand it and I think that's so interesting I can't really think of any other art forms for want of a better word where that's the case where you're surrounded but also not in touch yeah, well, I've never thought of that, actually. That's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. You're totally right. And, and, and yet, you know, if you, go to, if, if you go to the average person, at least here, you know, and you say, hey, you know, do you wear perfume? Like, mm, nah, you know, I'm allergic yeah. or, oh, you know. So that was sort of it was like I wanted to separate, you know, the act of working with scent or, or, or smelling from the perfume industry, you know, which is the sort of luxury driven Eurocentric, cultural monolith, you know, of exclusion. (laughs) The exclusion just drove me nuts. It just, it just made me, it angered me. I was like, why, (laughs) why is this so hard? You know, Uh, you know, I was an artist, I was an artist. I got a master's in art and I was like, well, surely there's a way of approaching this that's outside of this sort of pretty perfume in a bottle thing, you know? Um, So yeah, that's why, that's why the Institute came up. It was really aligning with my own frustrations, I guess. Did you ever get or have you got to the bottom of those frustrations about that world? Yeah, I mean, you know, over the last nine years, I've gotten to know people in the industry and my opinions have changed. They've shifted because as I've learned, it's just, you know, it's just people, you know, the industry is just a bunch of people and people are doing their best in a hard world to do, to do what they think is right, you know, so... I think that the industry is exclusionary. There's no question. I mean, people in the industry say the same thing. Everybody knows it. And is also that not part of creating in a way, like being artistic, that elusiveness has to sort of... Yeah, that's the thing. ...be magical and then you buy into something. Exactly. And And that's sort of one of the main reasons is like, you know, it sort of has to be exclusionary if if perfume is going to retain the sort of magic that it has and and that serves the industry because of course the industry is based on sales and magic and you know exoticism and all that sells you know people are attracted to what they can't have but i mean there's also some very brass tacks things i mean copyright law within the industry is complicated you know quite famously you can't copyright a perfume formula so there's this sort of history of secrecy out of necessity you know, if you're, to, if you're going to survive, you have to protect your stuff from a capitalist perspective. And then, yes. of course, that's all rendered obsolete by GCMS and all that. But nevertheless, this sort of tradition of holding things tight survives. And, you know, I, I mean, I went to World Perfume Congress a couple of years back and I was always like, yeah, it's exclusionary. Like, I know it is because I couldn't get in, but, you know, people are people, <laughs> you know. And I went to a party uh, run by one of the fragrance houses and I saw some people there. And then I went to another party run by some of the another fragrance house and I saw the same people there and I went up to them and I was like, Hey, what are you doing here? I just saw you at the other party. They were like, we weren't there. You know, they got all upset that I, that I called them out at being at this Ah. rival fragrance house party. And I was like, Holy cow, this is really a thing. You know, that's just the culture within the industry, but that is changing. You know, there's some really well-placed powerful people within the industry that see that this is cuckoo. I get it. People need to protect their, their, their bottom line. I mean, they have jobs on the line and people on the line and you know, it's, you've got to survive in, in our society. It's sort of a race to compete, you know, um, at the expense of other people. And that's just the culture we're all in, you know, but I don't, I don't think it's necessary personally. And the Institute's meant to sort of counterbalance that. 
And it's low stakes for us. I mean, we don't have big income. We don't have a lot of people on staff. If we fail, okay, you know, so we, we can challenge it. Uh, we're in a position. And by the nature of what you're doing and what you've created, you're exploratory. So, you know, whether it's scent making, whether it's perfume gardens, talk to me about this perfume garden, because that to me just yeah. fills me with glee. And me then too. I'm like, what would I plant in my garden? Because I've never had a garden and I, I just keep on having this. Oh, poor I will poor yes. um, Yeah, <laughs> the perfume garden is a program we started with a nonprofit called Grow Good. So basically it's a garden that we've sort of, we offered uh, Grow Good. And Grow Good is a nonprofit based in South LA in a very depressing industrial area where they uh, planted this sort of farm, for lack of a better word, next to the biggest homeless shelter in, in LA County. Since they had this massive farm and they had this program where they're, they're you know, inviting the residents to come uh, farm and learn about farming and build, make food and etc., we thought that, well, what a great opportunity to to plant a garden that's just for the pleasure of smelling. You know? And Minetta Rogers, who's our director of operations at the Institute, which sounds fancy. It's a very small team. Huh? Minetta phrased it nicely. She said it's sort of dedicated to the radical notion that homeless people are entitled to pleasure. You know, uh, you know I could not agree more. Uh, yeah. There's an organization in South Africa called Ubuntu. The gentleman behind it fundraised a lot of money to mm-hmm. build the school and, and the structure. In, in Southern Africa, and he got a lot of stick from people. Why are you spending so much money on the aesthetic of it? Surely this would be better served if you gave it to this person or that person. He said, well, just because it's a third world country, just because these kids have nothing, why can't they have beauty in their yeah, life? Dude, why, you totally. know, that's so important. And it's I think it's just part important. of human dignity and, exactly. and decency. Exactly. And, and actually, it's something I've been thinking of now. Beauty and, and something rare, I think, just can lift you in, in such an extraordinary way. A book, something small. And so I'm, I'm so down with that. And I think it's so important. And I, I'd love to get into that more you know, going forward because I just think that there seems to be this like big chasm between people thinking people deeming what's important for somebody yeah. else based on their economic background. And you, you nailed it with the dignity thing. It's sort of, and, and look, I mean, and, and on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I get it, you know, shelter, food, that, that's crucial, you know, but, but there is the sort of humanity to all of us. I mean, you, you said it perfectly, so I won't reiterate, but you have to acknowledge the dignity of a person just because they're homeless and they're, they're maybe cold, you know, yes, get them a jacket, but also like give them something nice to enjoy life. Like why the hell not? You know, they're entitled to enjoyment, you know, just as much as we are. So yeah. So we agree on that. That's beautiful. So, so with this project then it's about letting people come in and explore not just the olfactory sense of something, but just understanding is it what plants are? What? Yeah. I mean, right now it's a little bit on hold on account of the, of course. Know, the, the big bad virus, but um, yes. yeah, the, so, so the first phase was, you know, getting them to agree. They agreed. Then we planted the garden, um, planted it with a bunch of things that grow pretty well in California. So a lot of thyme and coyote mint and, you know, jasmine, of course, because jasmine grows beautifully in LA and clary sage, gardenia, you know, things that were all aromatic, but also uh, were, were easy to grow in California in drought and drought circumstances, lavender. Then the, the garden has been growing. It's looking rather lush. It's beautiful. So the next phase, which will hopefully start as soon as this whole chaos in the world is, is ended, is to start, you know, really doing workshops, having programs, you know, having things that are structured. I mean, they can go anytime and sit in that garden and smell the things. That's, that's wonderful. You know, that's, that's something that no matter what they can do, but why not also educate, you know, um, why not teach 
people without home how to distill and make perfume i mean why the hell not you know it's it could be a cottage industry artisan perfumery people get kind of funny about it like oh you know homelessness and perfume like haha you're so out of touch and i'm like actually <laughs> again it comes down to dignity you know artisan okay. practices artisan practice you know if you if they can make craft wares why the hell can't they make perfume you know agree problem here and also with a lot of herbs you know that can yeah. be used aromatherapeutically as well exactly exactly a lot of it's native to california anyway so why not but you know you sort of have to reassess how you interpret the word perfume you know because because if you take perfume as this sort of monolithic concept that comes with all the glamorous advertising and all the money and the glitter and the gold and the high heels and the corsets, if you take that and you apply that concept to a homeless population, yeah, it's super out of touch. You know, I mean, that's not that's obviously not going to be the the first connection that homeless people need. But if you take the more traditional approach to it, or the the less Eurocentric approach, you know, that and perfume has been in all societies across time, like gathering and combining aromatics for pleasure. Yeah, for the sheer joy. For the sheer joy. It's entirely possible. There's a long tradition outside of luxury in doing that. You just ha sort of have to rethink the word perfume or how you understand it. If you could, if you put some adjectives to it, what, what would they be for you? Per perfume can be grounding. Perfume can be pleasurable. Yeah. Perfume can be uh, worshipful. I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I'm definitely not spiritual, but I see that in people who are. There's a spiritual connection for them. Perfume can be a source of connection and communication with other people a way of bringing people closer, literally. I mean, not right now, but physically, you know, getting out there and smelling someone's skin, you know? Yeah. There's going to be a return to really heady, deep fragrance. Yeah. I feel like there's been a lot of minimalism over the last few years and a lot of allergies and a lot of people being adverse to... Hemophobia, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and now with... I don't know how it is that we're going to interact going forward. I mean, maybe things will be exactly the same, but maybe they really won't be. And then if that's the case, how do we, how do we declare ourselves unique or how do we show off a bit of ourselves if it's not just with what we wear, right? It could be, it could be with scent. Maybe we want to be loud and maybe we, we want to be smelt before we're seen, you know? Yeah. Our tendrils um, can reach people if we can't touch them still. Yeah. 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 I like that um, idea of like, we're kind of walking through and our, our little gear, little tendrils are coming out, you know, especially in this time of I guess, I guess the word is siage, you know, but whatever. <laughs> Tendrils sounds more sci-fi, especially yeah. in this time where we're so disgusted. I think you're probably right. I, I would put money on your prediction. So, so in the pie chart of your institute and what you're doing, you have this project, which hopefully is going to grow. And as you say, potentially there, there's going to be a population that will be making fragrances and, and perfume in a new way. What else are you up to? And, and obviously we know with the things that are raging yeah. at the moment, everything's up for negotiation. But of course, yeah. Well, there, there's a couple big things that, so this, this is one, uh, I, we've been working on a movie for about five years, six years, I don't even know, no, four years, I can't even keep track of time anymore, but that's something that hopefully um, we'll be able to eventually put out. Uh, it's, it's an edit, it's been an edit forever because it costs a lot of money to make a movie and we're a nonprofit, so we just sort of do it as we have a little income. And can you speak a bit about that? So that's yeah. a look into the rarefied world of perfumery. Well, it's basically the story of this successful attempt to recreate 
a perfume called Elise Glee um, by Jacques Fatt by a French perfume house called Fanouge. And Fanouge bought the name Jacques Fatt. They bought the rights to the name of this perfume house that has been shut since the 50s. And as part of that, they're relaunching these old perfumes, depending on who you ask, legendary or forgotten perfumes. Luca Turin called me one day and said, hey, I have an idea for you guys, which is you should follow the story of the recreation of this scent, this attempted recreation. So, so we did that. And Luca's, you know, a big part of the movie. And just to, to anyone listening, um, Luca Turin with Tanya Sanchez are the authors of the book Perfumes, The Guide, which I really highly recommend. They, they both have a way with words. <laughs> for good and for bad, they can be quite quite lashing, I guess. Yes, there's, there's, there's no um, minimalistic prose uh, in that book. They go for it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. I've been I've been on the I've been on the receiving end of a tongue lashing from Luca. It's 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 a thing of beauty. I, I love. I really respect his way of speaking, and Tanya too. They're smart, smart people. So yeah, we've been following Luca and this sort of attempt to recreate this perfume. When your angle is something, you see everything through that angle somehow. And this has been a really great example of the challenges of access and information sharing. So in the process of filming the movie and sort of thinking about the movie and talking with Luca quite a bit, who has never seen a dominant structure of power that he hasn't wanted to dismantle. It's just, it's an, he sees power and he wants to pick it apart. Wow. So I, I totally That's just it. like an innate desire. It's, it's something that he just, he's like immediately going, okay, where's, where's the catch, you know? And I like that. I'm the same mm. way. I, I, I totally get that. So he and I really understand each other in that way. So in conversations with him and other people, obviously, I sort of started thinking a lot about uh, intellectual property and perfume. And that led to this other big project that we're doing very slowly called the Open Sourcing Smell Culture Project, where we're trying to, again, very slowly, uh, we're trying to model different ways of sharing intellectual property in the perfume industry. And this is based on my work in film, where I was working in media right when YouTube was hitting. Creative Commons became a real thing. They had control over how they shared things. Mm. Um, Now, media is supported by very clear copyright law, perfume formulas, art. So the truth is the open source project is not supported by any legal teeth. You know, there's no one can actually, well, you could try, but it's very hard to support a copyright breach in a formula. I mean, people have tried and courts have ruled it not a problem because there is no copyright protection for formulas. They're sort of like recipes. But what I'm hoping to do is sort of at least model a potential behavior, but also introduce the concept of public domain to the perfume industry, which... You know, I mean, there's formulas that have been out of use for for centuries uh, and no one owns them anymore necessarily because the companies that own them are out of business. And yet the formulas aren't in the public domain. Why? Why is that? That doesn't make any sense. You know, in film and music and everything, you have public domain. And somehow in perfumery, you really don't. It's because it's invisible. It's invisible. It's also because people just don't share formulas. You know, it's just this culture of, you know. I had never encountered sites like the Good Sense Company, the information system. Do you know yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's been really revelatory because, you know, whether it's flavor, fragrance, food, cosmetic formulations, I've started to kind of go down this deep rabbit hole of um, of information and sharing. And um, so there aren't that many places that you can find things. So it, it yeah. does make it difficult. Yeah, and I don't know who runs the Good Sense Company, but those people need to be, you know, knighted or, I mean, that that website powers the independent perfume industry. Like, yeah, 
And I think that's really, really interesting. And I've never spoken to anybody, whether they are coming from the scientific perspective, whether they're a perfumer, whether they're a PR in the industry, who's spoken as passionately as you, but also you're, you're actually going to try and do something about it, which I think is really... Trying, trying being yeah. an operative word because it's well, uh, it's that's a how it that's how it all starts, right? <laughs> yeah, that's how it all starts. Yeah, we'll see. We're we're working in the world of perfume, you know, which again, it's got this luxury context, and you know, the first thing that goes when when viruses hit and you just go down the pyramid of the hierarchy of needs, and perfume suddenly becomes frivolous Obsolete. and dumb, and you know, oh God, you know, we should be worrying about more important things and. And this is something that I've been really thinking about because like, is it true? You know, is this frivolous and dumb? And I've really started thinking a lot about the purpose of perfume and the purpose of art, you know, in general. Um, and perfume is an art, you know, it's, it gives pleasure like a painting gives pleasure. It can subvert like a text can subvert. You could do a lot with that, you know? So I'm sort of trying to hold the line of the importance of, of perfumery, even in this global pandemic and this age of great uncertainty for the simple reason that humans need sucker, you know, they need solace, you know, and scent can help provide that just like any other art can. So talking about art and, and collaboration, I know that through the, the Institute, you've launched partnerships with big institutions. Can you talk about some of those? I mean, sure. there's like a list, there's the Danish Film Institute, there's the Getty Institute, the Hammer Museum, the Wallace Collection, yeah, well, and so on. <laughs> yeah, we've had a few. Um, so, I, you know, I'm an artist, now I'm an administrator, you know, but I was an artist. And so when I first started the Institute, my big selfish interest was like, oh, let's make art with scent, you know, let's, let's use scent in art, art practices. And, you know, people have been doing this, Cecil Tolas has been doing this, Peter de Coupere, there's, there's some really great artists working with scent, but I sort of wanted to, to help support that. And also selfishly, I wanted to make art, you know, so when we first started, I did a lot of reaching out to institutions and just letting people know of the potential. And then that sort of snowballed and people started reaching out to us, asking us to help incorporate scent into, into their installations or their programming and I will say like a lot of and this isn't you know thanks to us this is thanks to just the shift in how people are perceiving perfumery as a whole but a lot of institutions are are making space for scent as part of their their offerings um, understanding that this this immediate intangible sense can really help make their their exhibitions more visceral for their attendees and engage engage viewers you know which is what it's about what was the exhibition, I forget the name of it, where you went in and you were blindfolded? Yeah, I think there's been, there's been a couple. I, I'm not sure which one you're referring to specifically, but I can speak to one that we did that was similar, which is this, um, it was a performance or slash installation called A Trip to Japan in 16 Minutes Revisited. I, I was at a bookstore with my husband in Pasadena and this crazy guy who just talked too much was like, oh, you're in descent. Do you know about Sadakichi Hartman? told me all about this guy, this, this sort of thinker from the turn of the 20th century who was German and Japanese and lived in New York and became really obsessed with smell and staged this performance in New York called A Trip to Japan in 16 Minutes where he composed a piano piece for it and he played it and was narrating this story where you know you're getting on the boat and you're going you know, in the ocean and the whole thing had scent accompaniments. But the, the performance was slated for an avant-garde theater and it all fell through last minute and he was sort of stuck onto the back end of a, of a vaudeville show, basically. And it was just the wrong audience, you know, like they were, they were into these like dancing girls and whatever, <laughs> body humor and, you know, onto the stage, Sachet Sadakichi Hartman, who was 
a, a weird guy, you know, and it just, it went over like a lead balloon. They got, he got booed off stage. So, so we recreated that for the Hammer Museum, uh, sort of modernized it. What would he do today if he did it today? And so the way it worked is people came in and they were blindfolded and they sat down in this, these chairs and basically this whole narrative was, was sort of broadcast to them through sound and through scent. And what, how did they react? Was well, it? the blindfolds are crucial. You know, we're not the only ones to say this. This is certainly something a lot of olfactory artists are, are realizing that when you, when you divorce people from, from the most dominant sense, you know, uh, you open space. So yeah, people absolutely loved it. We, we, so Sadakichi Hartman's one was a total failure. So we were kind of like, okay, if we fail, like that's, that's good. You know, we're, we're doing an homage to the original and, uh, but it didn't feel it was it was totally a success. It sold out. I don't think they were selling tickets, but it was it was at capacity for I think a week, you know. And, and the, I think the main thing was that people just weren't accustomed to being in a museum space and not using their eyes. It was so bizarre for people, you know. You're so. I would have loved to have heard sort of what like the dominant words and sort of feelings that that were elicited um, from that. Yeah, word. I wish I could remember. It was a while ago, <laughs> but there was definitely a lot of you know that was relaxing, that was enjoyable. You know, it was it was positive. I just don't remember what the specifics the were. only fragrant exhibition i've ever been to was my cousin romy took me um in 2017 at somerset house here in oh, london oh yeah the one that lizzie lizzie did lizzie ostrom ah uh, uh, yes Odette the sensory Twilight. journey through contemporary scent yeah she's, yeah. she's great yeah that, that was i missed i'm so annoyed that i missed it you know but um it yeah, was, was very a, cool. You sort of went on this olfactory journey and there was like a, there was a series of different rooms and each room was designed to reflect the inspiration of a particular scent. So there was like a Moroccan desert, a, a Catholic confessional, um, <laughs> a boudoir, um, a water theme park. Um, oh, that's and so cool. There was auditory and, and there was like also tactile references as well. Yeah, um, that's cool. And yeah, it was, it was fun. I, and I remember thinking, this is, this is amazing, but I, I haven't been to anything since. So yeah, what's well, yes. that common, you know, in fairness, like, I mean, yes. I mean, so Odette Toilette, who is behind that along, along with other people, I'm sure she, she knows her stuff, you know, she, she does courses, doesn't she? She does. She, yeah. Uh, and I think she's interested in taste right now as well. She's very eclectic in her approach. So with all these projects partnering up with such important influential organizations, is there a specific aim? Yeah, I mean, for, for them, I don't know. But for me, the, for the aim is to facilitate knowledge and access to the field of perfumery. When we work with the Getty or, or with, you know, the Pulitzer Foundation or, or whatever, first of all, it's fun. You know, I get a kick out of it because there's yeah. cool projects to develop and who knows, you know, the budgets are always low, but, but I enjoy it, you know. But mainly the, the, the reason we do it from an institutional, in quotes, point of view is that if the Institute's mission is to facilitate access and experimentation and knowledge, well then what better than to team up with an organization that has that reach? It's very pragmatic. Right. So you sort know? of how perfumes, how fragrance plays the role of cultural object. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 the, and examining it from all angles. My big blind spot in all this is perfume as object for sale. Mm -hmm. Like if you ask me, you know, uh, what my favorite sheep was i'd be like uh, i don't know you know but i'm gonna ask you what your favorite fragrance is because <laughs> right now i can it, tell you yeah yeah there's a couple i mean so i've been really obsessed with this perfume called fundamental by rubini for a while this is Ooh. one that i've been wearing for about four or five years um, and, what, and what's it comprised of what, i have like, no idea but it's got this sort of spicy carrot seed Ooh. almost cinnamony eugenol uh, top note that just it's, I love it I love are it are you a more darker sweeter 
Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I kind of, I have my friend Ashley, who's a perfumer here in LA and works a lot with me with the Institute. She has the capacity to make these really subtle, very beautiful, ethereal fragrances. And I'm, I am envious of her because I can't wear that. First of all, I smoke cigarettes. So that, you know, that's, that's a problem. Uh, when you're wearing ethereal perfumes because the cigarettes yes. take, you know take over but also it's just it's just not my personality you know i'm a tomboy you know like and as much as i want to be a lady it's just i'm just not you know so i tend to gravitate <laughs> to perfumes that reflect that somehow i like walking into a room that has like a nod to ethereality but more often than most i like you know i think i said this to you before but maurice roussel yeah i love what he does because it's just sexy i mean yeah. what he created for helmet lang i think i think the brief on that was i want to smell like how my sheets smell after me and my boyfriend make love that oh, was man. the brief i think and it's great and it's That's quite awesome. off but it's you know it's the offness that really kind of totally i, I i'm the same as you like i like that little you know um and i yes. this like a, you know not to talk about myself too much but ashley made me a perfume and then my friend cristiano canali made me a perfume there's two people that have made perfumes for me and both of them used uh Cetalox or ambrox you know some sort of synthetic ambergris note so i think there's something to that but which i think is interesting also because it's sort of you know it's salty it's not it's not sweet or pretty actually kind of strangely subtle so i was like i was like oh maybe there's like a subtlety to me after all you know i was flattered <laughs> by well maybe thing. now in these turbulent times we find ourselves in because i think it's all about escapism so like what's going to be the new escapist sense right like if yeah. the 90s was all about androgyny right or the stripping yeah, back of yeah, it yeah, yeah, and totally. that kind of gender like think of CK1 uh -huh. and then the 80s which I obviously didn't my fragrance because I was little but it was yeah, all about yeah. opulence and and so and so what is it now maybe you can explore that etherealness or that yeah sort of, yeah um, it's gonna be the new version of me at least yeah right? society because society I think you're right they're gonna people are gonna get more into like sort of very placed you know perfumes that are in space you know um, but yeah, maybe I'll explore sheer perfumes just as a reaction against it. I don't know. Anyway. Yes. Well, is there an artist, living or dead, that you would like to, or would you have liked to have collaborated with? Oh man, yes. Um, Olafur Eliasson, man, that guy. Ooh. I'm obsessed with Olafur. I have been for a long time. Um, also Mauricio Catalan, but he's dead. But he's he's funny. I like his humor. But Olafur Eliasson, and and I think I, I know some people who are collaborating with him, so I'm very happy about that. But I like how he uh, uses space. I mean, he uses light in space and that's it. You know, for the most of his pieces, there's just light. But he, he completely transforms space with light. And I think that that lends itself very nicely to scent, you know. And he uses all the sort of elemental materials, right? To enhance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's really about sort of optics, you know, and, and how, we, how we perceive space. And I, I was in Aarhus in, in Denmark years and years and years ago before I started the Institute. And I have a friend who lives out there. And, we went to the Aros Museum and at the top of the museum, there's this sort of circular walkway and you just walk around this walkway and it's, it's glass and there's rainbow, it's sort of rainbow colored, but the rainbow is so spread out that you don't really realize you're in a color at any one point, but your perception of the environment changes really subtly. I think that's genius. It's just a genius wow. piece. Well, maybe you could, maybe you could, maybe with one of his sculptures, you could, you could, I don't know. Oh, I've, I do believe me. I've written to them. I've been like, dear Olaf, really awesome studio. 
you don't know me, but, but you <laughs> will say busy. <laughs> I will bother you until they're busy, but also, you know, frankly, like maybe, maybe uh, there's people better suited to that level of collaboration than the Institute. We're a little bit, we're a little bit grungy, you know, we don't have the, the finesse, you know, I, I don't mean to discount what we do, but there's people that'll, that would be better collaborators than us, put it that way. So I think what I would do is if I ever got his attention is I would, I would match make. I would combine mm. his studio with, with the right perfumer and, and just be like, I cannot well, wait. Almost like in the way that Frederick Mal, you know, is that. Yeah, exactly. Creator. Exactly. You don't always have to be the, you don't always have to be the one, you know, this is something I've learned actually only recently. Uh, Cause when I first started the Institute, I was like, we have to be the one that does everything. Mm. And I drove myself absolutely crazy, you know, probably everybody else. Like it's, it's annoying, you know, when, when you always seeing the same people doing the thing, I was like, what the hell, you know? So more recently I learned actually, like, I don't have to do everything. We don't have to do it all. Like we, we can totally happily not do things and, and, and in so doing make space, you know, uh, and it's sort of my ego has, my ego has changed because I'm running a nonprofit in perfume is, is an exercise of being beaten up quite regularly by very angry perfume people, which I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, but wow. Man. I haven't, not to say I won't be. Oh, <laughs> I don't think I'd enjoy it, but I mean, I think the kaleidoscopicness of, of getting people to switch on their sense of smell mm -hmm. and there's so many ways you're doing that. I mean, what more could you yeah you ask yeah. so so yeah exactly so now i'd, I'd sort of I, i'd like to step back on the frenetic activity and focus on to be some more specific activity and and help focus more on, on matchmaking on making opportunities for other people increasingly it's what we're set up to do but just somewhere in the along the way somewhere my ego got in the way you know i just got really insecure and i had to do everything perfectly and i don't know i got past that thank god in the last year or two um yeah well i think and, it's something that afflicts us all right there uh, you know we but it's good to be aware of it you know and i'm definitely aware of my own failings so anyway so long story short like i've, I've sort of grown a little bit which has been really cool and i think as a result the institute will be able to grow past me a little bit, past my own ego, you know, and that's good. I think that's wonderful. You were also saying, you know, especially now in, in the times that we're living in, there will be a lot of resources online. So, you know, you're in Los Angeles, I'm currently in London. You know, if somebody's in Florence and they want to get involved, tell us about what you're doing and, and how somebody could get involved. Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of adapt or die, right? So when the coronavirus hit, the immediate impact was refunding everything and everybody and canceling right. everything and i was like okay this is gonna kill the institute like we're done you know and i was like okay that's that's okay you know life life happens in a, in a moment of frenetic kind of panic and activity i was like ah, i gotta build a website for an online course you know so I, I built this website super quickly and just asked everybody who teaches for us regularly hey can you teach an online class hey can you volunteer your time and somehow so far have has met have managed to evade closing shop but what it does mean is that we've completely shifted online for now so all our classes are online as long as long as they have to be we're working with suppliers to create perfume materials kits that they can ship out to people Fantastic. that's what we're working on this week and then people can start to play around yeah and they can order yeah and then right. along with our teachers because they have the smells at home you know and then the the other part of that is clara ravat and i clara ravat is a, a an olfactory artist slash filmmaker slash curator slash 
thinker uh, in Berlin, and she and I produced this experimental sentence summit every year. And this year it was meant to take place in May here in LA. That's not happening. So what actually we're, we're working on is making it an online thing. So there's going to be sort of an online festival of scent. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So I think, I think actually the online thing has been this bizarre blessing. Uh, I like in person. I like in person a lot better. You know, we all do. Yeah, we but all do. But actually we found that we were able to, I mean, we had a class yesterday. There were people calling in from New Zealand, Australia, you know, Italy, yeah. Dubai, you name it. Malaysia. What was the class on? It was a class about writing for scent. Writing about scent by uh, John Beeple, who's a perfumer in uh, on the East Coast. When's January Scent Project? Yeah, yeah. So, so we've reached. It's actually become more global, and and actually for me a lot more fun because all these people from all over the world are chiming, and it's nice. I feel good about it. You know, I like it. So yeah, that's so exciting. That's, so you can build this this amazing curriculum online. And, yeah. and and make it as broad broad and sort of wondrous as possible. Exactly. And the other the other thing that's really cool about it um, is that so the institute's a nonprofit and we're devoted to access, right? But when you run a, a spot, a, a lab in a place with people with staff, like suddenly the the costs just balloon, and your classes aren't so affordable anymore, which has happened at the institute. The classes got more and more expensive to the point where I was like, is this accessible at all? No. Yeah. So the online thing allows us to get back to that too, is if you can have more people um, participating, you could lower the price for everybody. So we're offering a lot of our classes by donation. Yeah, so actually it's, it's been really an amazing uh, move back towards our core mission. So that, that's good. That's a I also think it could be a fun uh, sort of antithesis to, have you just noticed, I, I don't know if you're um, active on social media, but um there's so much baking and cooking which totally, is really yeah. wonderful but also like uh, i think your bread looks so good <laughs> yeah but yeah. also like, if you're stuck at home and you're not really like getting out and exercising so much maybe not great to be baking every single day but oh my great, god totally people are gonna be eating so much sweet things with scent right so instead of an anxiety baking you can anxiety, anxiety perfume perfume exactly <laughs> it's uh yeah i mean it smells just as good exactly just just a salve right for being alive for yeah being hopefully alive right hopefully, now. hopefully that'll happen i mean hopefully people will have that time what i don't want to do is position this as like your next career move because that that it's not like i mean if yes I could, if anybody's you know listening to this and thinks hey i'm going to start an independent perfume company to make lots of money like just don't do it it's just not not the reason to do it you know <laughs> do it for the art <laughs> i mean i don't know if this is this is a bit of a big question but with everything that we've been talking about how do we distract ourselves from the future in one sense Yo. which we which we can do through scent but then with everything that we've also been talking about how do we imbue it or imbibe it into, into our lives? Well, I, I'm not a meditator and I'm not a spiritual person, but there is something extremely grounding about smelling. You know, uh, I've, I've found myself, you know, when I'm right now talking to you, even like I have this scent strip that I always have at my desk that I dip every day. And something about smelling grounds you in the present, which, I mean, there's no better antidote to the fear of the future than just being in the now, you know? Mm. Uh, I've, been, I've been sniffing my uh, eucalyptus the whole time we've been talking. Yeah, it, it helps. Um, <laughs> it really does. So as a sort of grounding meditative practice, if that's people's thing, which yes. uh, despite myself, it's becoming mine, I have to say, there's nothing better than smelling. <laughs> you know, you just, you sit there and you, you, you turn off your senses and you experience something. 
And that is extremely grounding and it helps with anxiety, I find for myself at least. Yes, um, same here. That's, and it's also another way of using scent outside of just spraying it to be sexy, you know. Thank you so much for listening. Please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you, especially I'd love to hear about your fragrant fantasies. Check out the Institute for Art and Olfaction at artandolfaction.com and stay tuned. We are going to be doing a lot more entertaining romps through the science of smell. Take care, stay safe, everyone.